Hey everybody, welcome to the ABC Film Podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm Andrew. And I'm Cameron. Today we're going to be talking about a, uh, a an independent film that just came out called The Lovers. Uh, and then we're going to uh, just talk briefly, or maybe not briefly, about Jonathan Demme, who uh, recently passed away. Uh, just sort of an appreciation. I think we each saw, a, hopefully, a different film of his. And uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. So, Cameron, why don't you get us started with The Lovers? Writer-director Azazel Jacobs centers his new film, The Lovers, around a longtime married couple played by Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts. Their marriage, long exhausted and painfully wrote, each of them has taken on a younger lover. But those clandestine relationships have settled into the obligatory rhythm and feel of the marriage that they were both running away from. With each of their lovers, played by Aidan Gillen and Melora Walters, making stifling demands on them and presenting ultimatums, what's left for them to do but surprise themselves by regaining that love and feeling for one another? If only life were so simple as to willingly bend to the whims of love. All right, I'm, I'm sensing a little snark, I feel like, which I, I hope that's that snark coming through my mouth. Uh, <laughs> So. As I mentioned, as I mentioned to Brendan while we were waiting for you to get on this call, that uh, I, I woke up a little sick this morning, and I have a little, I, so I'm a little low energy today, which uh, is I feel fitting for the for this uh, for the, at least the first part of this topic. Uh, <laughs> so this is, I guess, your way of saying that you didn't care for this movie. I I I really don't have many feelings for it. I, I just I don't know. I I don't have much of feelings for it. Um, I. It it didn't ha- it did not leave me it it was slightly dis like it was unpleasant I mean if anything I was feeling <laughs> if anything I was feeling it was sort of a feeling of unpleasant and then I just sort of stopped caring and then uh, for a brief moment I thought oh it's nice to see Deborah Winger again and and um, <laughs> and that she actually brings a little bit of life in moments to to it but other than that it just sort of sat there and i thought it 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 feels like it could be a like a pilot for an hbo or a showtime show like that's what it feels more of like and not not even one that i would necessarily want to watch or stay with but it it didn't feel like a like a fully fleshed out movie oh Uh, well uh yeah no my i mean like going into this movie i mean i have to say i i did i mean like this was like not anything i was really interested in seeing at all but i was i was going with it because you guys wanted to see it um because generally like you know oh, more like upper middle class white people having relationship yeah. problems and then like horrible people doing horrible things to each other i was like uh i'm not gonna like this whatever um surprisingly i found it much more engaging than i thought i would that's not to say that i thought it was it was great but i was i mean I think why what, do you think that what was? We're, that's what I'm going to get into. Yeah, I think okay. uh, I mean Deborah Winger. I think was the strongest part of it for me. Um, like she was an unpleasant person, but I also understood her. I mean, like because of her performance, and she's 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 just got like screen presence, you know. And she brought brings you in, and you, you understand the psychology of the character just through looks that she does, or how she reacts when she arrives to a meeting late at work, or how she answers the phone, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so I really was engaged by that. And Tracy Letts, I've never been a gigantic fan of, and I found myself during the movie alternating between 
yeah, I still don't like him too. Oh, you know, he's oddly engaging in certain ways. And I couldn't really, I, I was like, he seems flat and nothing more than the surface. And I'm like, we need, we need someone with the star power of Deborah Winger here to match her, you know, and not, and not this, you know, just boring surface guy. But over the course of the film, that boring surface sort of became a character. I mean, it was a character it fleshed it out. Uh, he wasn't as as his performance wasn't as didn't draw me in as much, but there was something mm-hmm. complete about it. Um, so I mean, I enjoyed watching the the subtleties of of how their of their affairs with the other people and how those were breaking down, and then how the affair with each other sort of you know comes out of uh, comes out of nowhere almost. Um, and I even, I even, uh, I appreciated the break from them and going to. Uh, there's a, there's a point in the film where their son is coming to visit and he's bringing his new girlfriend, and we cut to them on the train, you know, heading to the, to the house to visit uh, right. his parents. And I appreciated that break from this, you know, claustrophobic situation with, with all these affairs, um, and, and, and getting the outside perspective of what the relationship was like, and then watching all four of them interact once the son and the girlfriend get to the house. And how that and how that plays out, um, I yeah we don't have to talk about the ending yet. But so so that's so I found myself through much of the film, you know, actually engaged with it. Um, I didn't I, I wasn't I, I'm sort of ambivalent about it, but but I was engaged with it because the acting I think you know uh, took me in. Um, but mm-hmm. I do want to talk about the ending. But I want Cameron to talk about uh, his his views. Really. Well, I I understand what you're saying, Andrew, about it kind of like being very unpleasant in in the way that like you um, like it just really made made life seem quite terrible, you know, in a lot of ways in terms of like just that they, you know, were kind of they both sort of hate their jobs and they hate their marriage and then and they don't communicate. (laughs) They don't communicate, but then it's also like the communication with their lovers is so problematic too. And Mm -hmm. I guess the first thing that was kind of um a red flag for me that I thought like I just don't know how this is working is the Melora Walters character is kind of um it, I mean she's borderline psychotic you know and yeah. and so I thought that that kind of dynamic mm-hmm. it just I, I, it was hard to believe in it because I kind of thought like okay um any uh, I guess I was, any normal human being would sort of look at that and look at her and say, and just kind of basically say, look, this isn't working, you know, and get out of the situation. But the fact that he sticks around with her and kind of deals with all of that, it just was kind of hard for me to to feel that there was the right dynamic happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and buy it. You didn't buy it. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't buy. I guess based on what Brennan described, I didn't buy that he's this guy that is attracting these women who are clearly out of his league. <laughs> yeah, well, there's yeah, there's that too. I mean, I agree with you, Cameron, with Melora Walters' characterization. I kind of was annoyed by that because it was sort of like what you would expect in a certain crazy, the crazy other woman kind right, of thing. Right. And and I, and so I thought that sort of. I mean, I thought she did with it what she could as a, as a performer, but but yeah, I didn't appreciate that. Um, I mean, I buy 
that they would have stuck together because they're both because he's so pathetic and horrible that yeah. and self-loathing that maybe he would stick with it, but it just made me feel gross, you know. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it is, just unpleasant. I mean, I the the parallel that I I kept drawing as I was watching it uh, and for uh, for the obvious reason that I just saw Tracy Letts a few years ago in uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but I mean it 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 rem- it's like a C-list Virginia Woolf kind of. I mean, and even with the son and the and the girlfriend coming in yeah, yeah. to their to their lives and the, like in the window is kind of like the Nick and Honey scenario and that whole thing. And and we are dealing with, and the end reveals it that we're dealing with cyclical destructive behaviors. Just mm-hmm. like, I mean, in a way that Virginia Woolf does, but Virginia Woolf does it in such a smart way of i mean we're it's actually trying to say something and and you know uh, deconstruction of marriage and it's just I, I mean there's a reason why that one is is i guess lasts uh and this one just sort of feels like it's it's not covering anything new like there's no new ground like i like you said this sort of upper middle class white sort of thing that's going on and it's like well yeah, what are we? What kind I mean, of what are, what are we see, getting from this that we haven't gotten before? Or yeah, I can see that. I see the log line. Yeah, oh, they're uh, they're married, but then they have an affair with each other, you know, or whatever. Like I I, I get it how they <laughs> how it's sold, but well, it was it that's kind of a thing. Well, that's like it's premise, complicated, you know. Right? <laughs> Wasn't that that movie with with, yeah, with Meryl right. Streep? Right. you say that? Which, yeah. Which which now well, which I did which which was a missed opportunity because that one could have been much better than it was, but. Still feels so much better than this, like, or at least much more pleasant or something. I don't know. I mean, well, I think that I mean, you, yeah. I mean, I think if you see the trailer for this movie, you are going to be deceived into thinking that you're getting something that you're not when you see the movie, because the movie, the trailer for the movie, does make it seem like this is going to be a romantic comedy, you know. And so I think that maybe that was also. Like, I figured it probably wasn't going to exactly be like that, but I thought that there would be some of those warm, fuzzy feelings in there somewhere, and there there really aren't. And so I think that's also, that can be kind of a shock to the system, too, you know, when you're going to the movie. But I think, I mean, I... I I didn't hate the movie. I didn't not like the movie. Yeah, yeah. I would say that I think I did like yeah. it, because on the level that it... did surprise me and it was unexpected in terms of how everything was laid out. I mean, just even the fact that we start with um, the first scene is between Melora Walters and Tracy Letts and, you know, she's breaking down and whatever. So we're, so even starting at that moment, I'm thinking like, okay, we're in a much different place in the, in their, in each of the characters journeys than what you might've expected it to start with, you know, and then where it goes from there. But I think if we're if we're ready to kind of jump to the ending a little bit, and I don't know how in depth we'll talk about it, so maybe potential spoiler alert, yeah, spoiler folks. Alert. But, but, but I, we um, have no to, one we, see, have to, we have to talk. No about one's it. seeing this movie or listening to this podcast. And if they've done both, then good for you. God but, bless. Uh, <laughs> then stop the podcast right now. See the movie, then come back. <laughs> right. But I or, think or the, no. the the thing that was hardest for me to sort of. Um, buy about the movie is the way that it just lets the the kid and his girlfriend walk out the door and and it's just kind of, there was something so selfish about them as parents yeah. that i just thought was it's unexpected 
but it just wasn't, there was something not satisfying that, like, like, I think when, okay, so Deborah Winger has this moment where she is freaking out, and she sits in her car, and she's trying to figure out the next step just by herself, and she rehearses this whole thing, mm-hmm. and she goes in, and she starts the, her thing that she had rehearsed to the family, and her kid won't let her say anything. And so I thought on one hand, like it was observant of those kind of life moments where I think there are those moments that you do kind of try to plan for, yeah. but they never go as planned. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still wanted her to have, I yeah, still wanted them to yeah. have a conversation. Uh-huh. And instead, they just kind of go into this quirky moment of Tracy Letts singing a song, you know, and it kind of elides. Right. dealing with anything you know and then uh, from yeah. there and then from there to the end it just all felt very pat and like when you have the little button at the right. end of like what happened you know which mm-hmm. spoiler alert they their marriage falls apart and then they end up getting together with the two people they were originally having the affairs with but he makes a call and he's calling Deborah uh, Tracy Letts calls Deborah Winger's like I can't I, I need to see you so he uh, obviously they are having an affair with each other now that they are not married anymore but with these other people and that just felt so cheap and so uh, like like if there was any content to this uh, movie if there was any like actual you know Psych- real psychology or real uh, discovering something about the human condition, that just made it like more of a log line. Right. You know, like that ending right. felt so like, ah, fuck it. I, or, or aren't we being funny or cute or something? It just felt so un- Well, again, earned. like it, it never it never got the, to- like, you know, is it a comedy? Not, not that everything has to be defined by comedy or drama or whatever, but the tone was wrong for that ending. Like that's mm. not the ending... I, that ending. I, I just, yeah, the reason I, why you're having an issue with it is because it just doesn't. Yeah, you're right, Pat. Like it just all of a sudden it goes through all the this sort of montage of them how they broke up, then they're back with their younger lovers, and seemingly everything's fine, and it just sort of rushes through all of that. And not that I wanted the movie to go on anymore, but like <laughs> that. Yeah, I think Pat is right. Like it just sort of tax it on or something like we're supposed to give a shit yeah i mean like everybody in the movie is selfish except for maybe that maybe maybe the son and the and the girlfriend like they seemed vaguely to care about each other at least but but the all the people having the affairs are all just selfish assholes which you know worked for me sir for certain parts of the movie but to wrap it up the way it was just felt so it just felt so dumb i just was so like oh this is dumb <laughs> <laughs> I think the one place where I, you know, it did kind of capture me a little bit is that we learned that Tracy Letts was a musician, and mm. I think Deborah Winger was too, because yeah, she says tell. something yeah. about yeah. that the yeah that the band had a terrible name or something, as yeah, if she was at one point yeah. part of the band, yeah, too, and so I guess I just in. I mean, that information caused me to sort of paint a picture of them yeah. for myself, I guess, in a way where yeah. it was um, where you see these people that obviously kind of had this thing that was their passion. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they're not doing their passion anymore in their work lives. Yeah. And that that 
could have been part of the collapse of the marriage is that, I mean, I picture them as probably she got pregnant and they weren't really planning on it, but they had this kid, you know, anyway, although I'm not sure the age of the kid works out that way, but the, but I'm just thinking like, because of the way that they were so disengaged as parents, I thought they never wanted to be parents, you know? Um, And that was kind of a thing that got in the way of, of them. And I think for me, like the ending was representative of them kind of getting back in touch with who they were, uh, in some way, you know, in, in their, in the early part of their relationship. And that that's kind of, that they need that kind of, um, excitement, if you will, in order to have it work for them, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know, though. I mean, it, it seemed like they were rediscovering that prior to the... Bre- the button? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Just, like, the way... It, something about the structure of it just made it feel pat. It didn't... Like, I, I felt like they're... Like you were saying, like, when we revealed that he was a musician, there's these things, like, you were getting layers of the, of characterization and stuff, and I do think the actors used that to make me care about them or, or not care. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Empathize enough with them throughout the film that I cared, you know, that I cared what was going on. Um, but the script itself didn't really explore, it didn't really explore flesh, flesh out their relationship or what it meant or why they got excited, like how they rekindled their excitement within the marriage. And then they just let that go. And then it just becomes about, oh, they need the excitement of having an affair to connect. That's what it came across like to me. You know? Yeah. It's just about them. Yeah. They they're people who need to have an affair in order to you know, or to be secretive or whatever in order to yeah. have real connection. And that seemed yeah. to be cheaper than what they were I thought they were moving toward earlier in the film when they rekindled the romance as a married couple and were, you know, trying to make it work with the son there and all that kind of thing. So I just felt yeah. like it became cheaper at that point. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a satisfying ending, you know, mm-hmm. to to come out of it. So yeah, I mean, I totally get like the you said the word ambivalent, and Andrew said the word unpleasant, and I certainly <laughs> felt those things as well, you yeah, know. Yeah. So um, yeah, but part yeah, time, but great oh, to yeah. see yeah. Deborah Winger again. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was just I was trying to think like part of through part of the movie, I was like. Now, who could have they cast who'd be better than Tracy Letts to match her? <laughs> and like, now, see, that's funny that you guys say that. Did you come up with an answer um, I, I mean, for yourself? No, I mean, at first I was trying to think about, like, would it help if it was, like, a movie star guy? But that mm. wouldn't quite, I mean, like a George Clooney or something, but that wouldn't quite quite work either. Alec um, Baldwin. No, I mean, like... <laughs> no, I know, I, I know. I, I, I think just... I could find somebody, but I didn't, because I, I mean, I was paying attention. Right, you did. Well, and again, <laughs> again, I, I, I mean, if I could, if I could say something, I know your experiences with him. I mean, largely your, your window into Tracy Letts started with seeing him on stage a lot in Chicago, right? I mean, yeah, that's, I, saw, I think Homebody kind of what you, was the first thing yeah. I saw him in, and yeah, I, I didn't care for him in that, and then the I dresser. didn't like his play, The Man from Nebraska. And I mean, his writing of that in Killer Joe, I was sort of suspicious of. So I mean, I you know I, I have my notions about him based on my my previous things I've seen with and by him. But 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 like I said, right. I, well, I didn't mind him in a way after a while. Like there was something there. It was just also something off. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think part of like that that part of my disappointment too was, I guess, to reiterate what I said before, is that I, he was so exciting and fresh, feel, felt fresh in Virginia Woolf that yeah. I was hoping for some of that in this, and this just felt like boring milk toast white guy that was not, you know, with yeah. without any reals. You know, it was like watching an eggplant on on screen for an hour and a half. I know we probably weren't supposed to, but I really didn't like the Irish guy either. I mean, the guy from The Wire and uh, Game of Thrones. Right. Who David Rowan is. I mean, like, that character was just so, like, gross. In the, almost in the same way that Melora Walden. Like, they're just, like, pathetic and, like, oh, God, just, oh. Yeah, I kept thinking, I kept wondering if the movie was going to put the two of them together oh. at some point, you know? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, these are the people that need to be together. Yeah. <laughs> they deserve but, each other. <laughs> but, no, it's interesting that you um, didn't care for Tracy Letts because I actually, the, the one scene where he really impressed me was, um, I think, it, it's after, it's when they have their moment of discovery and they end up having... I can't remember if it's um, now. I can't remember if it was maybe after the montage of sex, or maybe okay. just the first time that they have sex again, or whatever. He and Deborah Winger, and then he goes to work and he sits down in his cubicle and he just starts to laugh and he can't help mm -hmm. himself. And the way yeah, that he yeah. played that, I thought was quite impressive because yeah. uh, I, you, I believed it. That, yeah, yeah, it no, was this yeah. kind of raw emotional moment that was really captured, you know? Yeah, no, don't, I mean, don't misunderstand. Like, like I didn't, like I said, as I watched it more, there was a complete performance there that I appreciated. But at the same time, I just kept having this feeling of like, I don't, I don't know if, if this is working for me or not. And so just the fact that it took me out of it, I'm, I'm just trying to mm -hmm. highlight that because that meant something to me, but I don't know what. Sure, yeah. All right, we've we've talked about this one too much. I mean, there's not much more we can say at this point. And I feel like the like it's sort of draining because we have a more exciting topic to talk about, and that's uh, and and I, I will say that my my feelings about this one were I saw it the afternoon after revisiting my Jonathan Demi film the night before, which was sort of the opposite feeling, and it was a film that sort of burst off the screen and was full of life and all these things, and so that yeah. might not have helped my unpleasantness of, of the lover but uh anyway cameron oh i get to start off <laughs> you do uh and you mean that you want me to start with my pick of film is that what i you're want saying? you to talk about jonathan demi because i feel like you have always had a reverence for him i feel like some of our earliest conversations of even just knowing you i mean i, I i'm I, I know I, I know your I knew always knew your feelings about Silence of the Lambs, but I also mm -hmm. knew that Jonathan Demi was a director of yours that was kind of in, in your in your top drawer, as it were. And and I think you know I, I feel as though you you are the right hopefully the right person to uh, tell us why he was important. Well, I think because uh, he so has. Why is it important to me? Well, there you go. Yeah, that's maybe easier. Yeah, don't try to tackle I think, me. <laughs> I think because he has, um, uh, I would say, a vision that is his, first of all, so that I think you can really identify his movies as his. 
and that there is such exuberance usually on maybe not <laughs> maybe that's not the right word for the signs of the lambs but for uh so many of his films is that focus in on americana and things like that there's just a real um love of people and love of humanity and i think that that's something that you know if you since we just talked about the lovers in comparison you know, that feeling of unpleasantness that Azazel Jacobs finds interesting to explore, you know, like Jonathan Demme is just much more of an optimist, I guess I would say. And you get the sense that um, he just loves people. And that's where the smallest characters in his movies are highlighted in unexpected ways because he is mm -hmm. giving you like this rich portrait of, of people, you know, in, in whatever story that he's telling. So even if you have something that is kind of a, you could say more of a mainstream comedy or romantic comedy like Married to the Mob, there's such a specificity to how he lays everything out that it just makes the movie really special, you know, and not just your typical, you know, whoever name in the fill in the blank director that's just kind of cashing a paycheck, you know, sort of thing, which is why um, it is, I do have to say, it is sad to me that his last feature film was Ricky and the Flash, which as much as there are touches of him in it, they're just, it just lost something in the translation of who he was as a filmmaker, ultimately, overall. Um, and that was such a disappointment that he, you know, it's, I, you know, and I guess it could open up a whole discussion of, you know, filmmakers when they get beat to a certain point in their careers and whatever that, you know, they often do kind of lose their marbles in a way and who knows let's, what that let's is. just chalk it up let's just blame diablo cody and just chalk it up to, to that being a, a, a mismatch yeah that could very well be yeah i mean yeah. And, and let's just say that so so we won't we won't we, we won't, won't get into too, too, yeah we won't dwell on on that one I, um I, but uh well what? now now i'm now i'm i want to know i mean well i will say this I, I'm, let me add to this because i um I did watch Married to the Mob as my film. And the reason why I ultimately cho chose that, well, I, I figured we both, I knew we both, some of us were at least going to. And Cameron, if you did, then you're cheating. Well, he watched it because he, he wrote about it. Didn't because, he write about it yes, well, that's what, I, yes. that's what I'm talking about if you'll shut your mouth. Oh. So Cameron's excitement, Cameron's excitement about that, revisiting that movie, um, led to him writing a blog piece. One of our, one of his earliest pieces that he wrote for the, for the ABC film podcast.com blog blog piece and um he wrote about the joys of revisiting something that uh is is not necessarily like a perfect film from your past but one that like you remember so well from your youth and then coming back to it and and it's his your excitement cameron in revisiting that is the reason why i wanted to go back and, and revisit it because i also had kind of this fond like glee uh, you know this memory of it and what really surprised me is how much i could like watching it i knew the movie and i hadn't seen it in i don't know t 25 years or something and like moments and lines like i knew it was coming and it's because 
the people in it make such an impression, and I think you're right. There's there's such a joy of everybody on screen in that that even when it gets ridiculous and kind of goes off the rails and and <laughs> like it gets it gets like I mean in in, in this in, in really a kind of over the top cartoony way, like there's still some sort of pleasure in watching it go bonkers, um, and like. Just the way he, I mean, there's one performance in it that I think doesn't work. And sadly, oh, that's the, the kind of, the, the, the Matthew Modine character doesn't, to me, he doesn't <laughs> quite embody the world that they're that he's going for. And yeah. it feels like he's playing at it rather than living in it. And, and even though... We aren't quite allowed to understand his character. Right. Like he sort of fills, a, he, he fills a role, but yeah, I agree. He's, it's right. the least... And, it's the least fleshed out, or uh, yeah, of the other and, and he as an actor doesn't doesn't have this <laughs> core that sort of will allow himself to kind of live in the world of it. I don't, I, I, mm. I don't know if it's his fault, but there's just something about him that just feels like it's he's commenting rather than existing, and it's it's hard because this type of comedy is fucking hard. Mm -hmm. But like Mercedes Rule just fucking owns it. Right, and she's so <laughs> like, and she's ridiculous, and like the shots of her at the end, like jumping over the bodies with the gun, and like, like her hair while like it's totally ridiculous. And she yeah. comes barging into the hotel at the end, and she's like off the fucking rails. But it's so it like it it it's earned, and she's like it she li like it it just lives in the world, mm -hmm. and I just fortunately don't think Matthew Modine does. But, but I think the one thing that that Demi does bring to something, and I feel like. The reason why Michelle Pfeiffer works so well in it is that the point of view of his central characters. So, her, like, I think that there is something similar between her and the Clarice Starling character in in Silence of the Lambs because you're seeing some, you're, like, you're seeing it through the eyes of this central figure in this world that's really awful, and like, and the surrounding world is so. Uh, odd and strange and there's such and while the person lives in that world there's such a core of vulnerability to them and so like you really do care like michelle pfeiffer's like she she gets you i i buy that she's the, a mob boss's wife or a you know a mobster's wife in that stereotypical way and then i buy all of the emotions that she goes through and there is a human core at the very center of this ridiculous cartoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think yeah, and that's the problem with, with the, what's not there. Like, she's so grounded and such a real character, mm -hmm. and the comedy can play off of that. And Matthew Modine's character, not to harp on him, but like, is sort of <laughs> it's not he's not quite as grounded, or give we're not given enough to really understand who he is. Um, and so he's sort of between this world of like slapstick comedy-ish guy and then sort of a romantic lead, but that's just kind of mm -hmm. thrust upon him because of his situation in the script, sort of, you know. <laughs> well, it's funny that you guys say that because I, when I um, saw the movie, whatever, maybe two years ago or whatever, when I wrote that blog piece, Three. I did have a similar feeling that um, that he was a real turnoff to me. Yeah, but I yeah, did yeah. this. This wasn't the only thing that I watched, but it was just an additional thing that I watched ag again. And oddly enough, like his performance was back to working for me. So oh. I don't know, like if it's just one of those things where it just kind of 
depends on, you know, the day that you see it of, of how it works. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean, but it's just that. that I guess something... I kind of didn't like that she liked him so much based on so little. I mean, I, right. <laughs> maybe that was like, a, I mean, like, I get that she like, was searching for connection, you know. Right. It's um, the one thing you don't quite buy because there's, we're sort of told that she's supposed to like it, like, rather than you believe why she's falling in love with him or why she has a interest like in him I, really I, at all. I liked her going to ask him out and stuff like that. But then huh? I guess maybe the progression of the relationship just happened really fast to service the script or something. Right. That's what it felt like, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like, uh, Cameron, that you touched on the idea of the exuberance of, of, his, of his directing style. Um, because I was, you know, I, I, I rewatched... Um, Married to the Mob, which I also hadn't seen for like 25 years, but I remember, I mean, that when they go down to Miami, like I remembered that sequence so clearly, uh, it stuck with me. Um, but I was, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is, this movie feels a bit more, it feels, it felt to me like it was so full of life and it was so full that he had to cut it down, you know, like that's what it felt, it felt mm-hmm, like, yes. like things got shorter shrift than maybe they did, and and you saying that mentioning his exuberance makes that make total sense because he he wanted he wanted to fill it so much, you know. But then you still have to, but then he wants to cut it down to tell a, a mean story, you know, a, a clear story well, as well. Well, yeah, even did you even watch the credits, he, the, the credit sequence, he admits that he ha- has more. Oh to yeah, no, tell no, no, because no, I saw it, that. There's the whole montage of like moments that could have happened or we could have seen, but mm-hmm. like yeah, there's a lot up, more. I also there. looked up old articles, you know, about. Uh, there was one I read that was an interview around the time that he was cutting this movie too, and they talked about other movies that, that he had done as well, um, and and they all the, there is a sense to a lot of them that there's that there is a lot more going on that we don't see, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that that works in its favor for most of them, and then sometimes it doesn't, like Ricky and the Flash, like that sort of stuff. It, it felt cut up and incomplete, and there was a lot wrong with that movie, but. <laughs> you know, um, but but like Manchurian Candidate, which I rewatched last year, um, I think that has some really great stuff in it. And I think, I mean, the thing is, he always casts so well. Like, he knows how to cast a movie, and they know. You know right. He picks strong actors who ground the, you know, who ground it and make it work. And I mean, like Signs of the Lambs, like perfectly cast across across the board. Um, and little and, tidbit there, Michelle Pfeiffer is who he wanted initially that. for Pretty Starling, and yeah. she she turned it down. Yeah, so. yeah. Why would you turn that down? Well, and she I mean, had some it, reservations it, about some of the. I mean, probably you know having the guy in his cell flick come on her face. She probably didn't really want to do that. Oh God! <laughs> so. And I read too who he had first asked to play Hannibal Lecter too, and I can't remember. But it and but that person was like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. God, I don't know. I'll have yeah. to look it up. I'll add an addendum. Um, uh, I forgot my train of oh mentioning like that too. It felt. Like there was a lot more going on than what we end up seeing in the story, um, and in that movie, that didn't that didn't serve because that story is so plot based. Like you need mm-hmm. like all the intricacies of the plot that made that movie mm-hmm. sort of adrift. But for something like Married mm-hmm. to the Mob, where you have a clean story, you know, start to finish, and mm-hmm. you, you know the points you have to hit, you can stuff it to the brim, and it's and it still works, you know, and they can mm-hmm. feel a little off in points. Because it's still moving steadily toward the end, but something with a complex plot like Manchurian Candidate, mm-hmm. um, and I tried to watch The Truth About Charlie, but I, I couldn't get through it. Um, oh, <laughs> but it was—I uh, mean, it was kind of a similar. It just—it felt—it felt—it ends up feeling adrift. So those were two examples that that of his style that didn't work. But but for for his pr- 
all his stuff through the 80s and uh, that I've seen. And this, uh, I didn't see... Did either of you watch any of his Roger Corman stuff? I couldn't find uh, any copy on YouTube or anything for the either cra- Crazy Mama or um, Caged, Heat. Caged Heat. I think yeah. is the other one. Yeah, I yeah. saw Melvin and Howard a couple years ago too, um, and that one works really well, like Married to the Mob. Like uh, I think I don't know. Um, in the same way of like just these really rich, grounded characters that are, you know, uh, thrust in situations, and he's just so nimble. He's nimble in telling the story and, and, you know, getting to the point. And, yeah. Uh, what movie did you watch, Kenny? I watched two. Um, and I'll be putting a, a blog post about them. But um, the, as I was listening to and reading Obits, um, these two came up to my attention that I had never seen before. And so I thought that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I was also going to try to see something wild again, and I just I didn't have time based on our schedule that we made. But um, so the the first one that I watched was a movie that he made in 1982 for American Playhouse called "Who Am I This Time," and uh, it stars Susan Sarandon and Christopher Walken, and it's. Uh, because it's American Playhouse, it's based on a play that I wasn't familiar with, but it has this really wonderful concept um, that allows him to tell another love story that is just um, so much fun and just so... Um, I mean, I was just beaming at the screen just watching this this movie. Um <laughs> Christopher Walken plays this incredibly shy guy in a small town. He works at this hardware store. And really, he can only communicate when he is part of the community theater. And so the theater is putting on a production of A Streetcar Named Desire. And uh, he ends up as Stanley Kowalski. (laughs) And Susan Sarandon plays this woman who... Uh, comes to these small towns periodically to install um, computer systems, computing systems into whatever business that she works for, a bank or something like that. And uh, and she gets asked to audition, and she's kind of... um, She's kind of an icebox, but she wants to kind of be more open and and things like that. And... uh, at first, her audition is really stilted, and they can't really get what they want from her. She's auditioning for Stella, and Christopher Walken comes in the room in character, and <laughs> there's just this sort of magic that happens between them, and uh, and so she ends up getting cast, and and the film covers the the period of the production and all of that, and sort of what what uh, how their relationship develops, and it's just so charming and. Uh, <laughs> so well acted in really difficult ways. I mean, if you think about like Christopher Walken has to be in some scenes, this incredibly meek, uh, inarticulate guy. And then he's coming in in other moments in full Kowalski mode, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's just exciting to watch the performances, you know, um, and to see that like Demi really was bringing technique even to this American Playhouse thing, which could have probably just been, you know, film theater. But uh, he really made a film out of it. Um, So I highly, highly recommend it. It's definitely a movie that deserves to be better known. This is, uh, it's it's on Amazon Prime, right? Is that the one that? Uh, It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can watch it. 
Go ahead. It's not a great copy of it, which, okay. you know, gets me thinking about, like, archival type stuff and, you know, feeling like it yeah. would be something that would definitely could be restored and that would be exciting, you know, to, yeah. to have that be. The other movie that I watched um, was a few years before that uh, called Citizens Band when it was oh, yeah. released. But then um, I guess it's also become known Handle with Care. I'm not sure why. But, um, well, at one point it was, I guess it was re-edited or something in, in another form after it had, was initially screened. Then I guess it got some different edits for TV and stuff like that. Um, but it's also another really incredibly charming, deeply human comedy uh, that just follows a group of people around a small town um, who use CB radio. And, uh, and the way that the movie is laid out in terms of how it introduces you to the characters and who you're going to be spending time with is just unexpected and really, um, just really rich. And, and the fact that it is ultimately a pretty buoyant comedy, but there are also these moments that are, a little bit heavier, a little bit darker, and the way that he just nimbly goes from one to the other um, is just somebody that's just really so assured. And the movie has a screenplay by Paul Brickman, who wrote oh, yeah. Men Don't Leave, which is a movie that I love, and then he also, of course, did Risky Business. And um, it's just another movie that just, again, deserves to have more attention to it because it's so satisfying, you know, mm. again, in the way that um, that The Lovers was not, you know, mm. um, it's just he really wraps you up in things. And there are um, certain developments that are unexpected and the way that they come out and you just kind of go like, wow, you know, they really got me like I didn't see that coming. And, mm. you know. Um, that kind of thing that just makes it so much fun too. Yeah, I, so I, I that. yeah. No, I have to say, like this, uh, knowing that we were going to, we had to pick a movie. Mark, like it made me actually want to watch and rewatch all of his movies. Like, and the, yeah. there's, there's not one really that I wouldn't even the quote bad ones you know that I've seen that I didn't like, like Ricky and the Flash. Like, well, maybe I wouldn't watch that again. But <laughs> you know, I, I just because I think that there's so much to mine from them, and mm -hmm. and also I think because many of them, you know, it's been a while since I've seen and, you know, it, I'd like to see how I react to them now and how that kind of thing. And one, you know, one that I've never seen that of course everyone recommends is Stop Making Sense, the con concert film for the Talking I, Heads. I watched it. I watched uh, that also last week. You have to uh, see it. Yeah, I, accident, I want to. Accidentally. And it, it was, it was so, he, the thing is, is he gets David Byrne, like this sort of weird and offbeat thing that, he brings to yeah. and then and then i hadn't realized that he then hires david byrne to score the movie of married to the mob which yeah you know was which yeah, was yeah. really kind of interesting and fun um you know to that his music i think his use of music in his films is something that's and the way he uses pop music and stuff like that is just you know i think it's 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 a real highlight to his stuff too yeah and even like Philadelphia, which, you know, in some ways it doesn't age as, I mean, like can feel like 
I, I've seen clips of it. I mean, I've seen it a few times. And then it, over the years, I've seen clips and I've like, oh, that kind of reads, sounds like a lecture in a scene or something, you know, like educating us about different things. But there's, but I, but I think that the, I mean, the humanity of the acting and the, and the story, to, I mean, I still think it's strong. Like I would watch that again in a heartbeat, you know? Um, yeah, I, there's, and maybe I'll even give Truth About Charlie a chance, <laughs> another chance. <laughs> I mean, Cameron, yeah, I, Cameron, to your to your early point about um, every movie seems personally his. Um, what's what's really fascinating about that is that he's not limited by genre. Like he he mm-hmm. go like every sing, like each of his movies almost feels like a different genre that he's going for or trying to tackle or just, you know, wanting to try something new. And, you know, you've got the, you've got the thriller, you've got the farce, you've got the courtroom melodrama, like he's got all of those and he makes them all work and he makes them all work for him. And I would say that his style though stays pretty consistent from genre to genre. And, and, but I mean, he, he adapts it, but Mm -hmm. I mean, like a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the first person, point of view stuff in Married to the Mob like he uses I, that in Sons of the Lambs and to right. to similar effect but they're very, vastly different genre films you know well and that's the thing like having seen uh, Who Am I this time that's the first time that I know of in his filmography that he used that technique and mm-hmm. I always thought that because he worked uh, so often with Tak Fujimoto mm-hmm. I always assumed that it was his cinematographer yeah. that kind of got him in that mode of of you know using that as communication yeah. because he uses it um in beloved as well oh, and that's um, such a long time yeah and so but that but no i mean that's something that he came up with as early as who am i this time okay. you know um okay. as a way of really personalizing the moments and really making it like into this subjective experience, you know, in a, in a way that just makes you feel all the more. Yeah, you know, it, brought, it brings, I mean, like in the moments that in marriage of the mob, like it, I remember it, spe- uh, especially when Michelle Pfeiffer is arguing with Alec Baldwin who plays her husband. Um, and it just brought out the vulnerability of both of them and the situation in, in such a way that was kind of unexpected for that type of film. Yeah. Cameron, you mentioned in your blog about Married to the Mob that um, you felt that he, that this was his sort of kind of climb to his peak, and then after Silence of the Lambs that you felt that he, it, it didn't ever get as good as that or better, or, I mean, this sort of late 80s, early 90s period for him was the one for you that that sort of felt like, I, I guess, the his peak, greatest work. I mean. Um, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I interesting. Was, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one. It's interesting. I, I was going to ask you to elaborate on that a little bit, but two, like, it's interesting that you chose to go to the beginning. Like the like you looking back, you were like, okay, I'm going to go see these from the start. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, yeah, because it's just kind of you, you know you. I think in that moment, like I was thinking, like I want to know more. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, and so that's, yeah, I was like kind of going like, oh, these are missing pieces in my, you know, knowledge of Jonathan Demme. And, and so let's fill those out a little bit, you know. Yeah. And, and you brought up Beloved. I totally forgot about that. Like, I, really, I would really like to revisit his later stuff, too, because, I mean, I know I had problems with Rachel getting married, but I also really liked parts of it a lot. I too. really did like it. You know, um, I liked that one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think 
all all eras of his are, are worth examining and, and um or re-examining i suppose some of it um but yeah it would be uh, we could we could do a whole series of podcasts just on his movies i think <laughs> <laughs> we it could become the jonathan demi podcast yeah that, that'll be the, the side podcast right? and then it would keep us from seeing movies like the lovers <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Can't think, can't sleep, can't breathe.